I pray that our lives would praise you. Lord, it would be such a tragedy if you'd give us long life and good health and blessings and we'd waste it on temporal things, things that do not stand the test of time nor will last in eternity. And so, Father, I, I pray that as we have sung praises to you, that they have been an expression of our heart, our life, our direction, that we have listened to you, we have responded to you, that we have been pleasing to you. Lord, use now your word to draw people to Jesus and unto yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Stories told of a little boy that came to worship service and he had never been in the worship service before. It was his first time and he looked around and he saw the flags in the service and uh, kind of punched his mom and said, Mom, what are those flags up there for? And she said, Well, son, those flags are there for those who died in the service. And he said, Morning or evening? The Samaritan woman is a familiar story to us because it's a story of a great encounter. A woman who had had five husbands who came to a well like she had done many other times, but she met somebody at that well she'd never met before. When she left there, she was a changed woman. When Jesus left Samaria, it was a changed city. Why? Because he found one person who fell in love with him who gave her life to him and told other people about it, and they came and found for themselves this Jesus and the greatest revival that Jesus ever had, he had in Samaria. He didn't have it in Jerusalem. He didn't have it in the places that you would have thought would have responded to Messiah. He had it in Samaria, a place where a good Jew would have never gone through the town in the first place. But Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. And at that well, an encounter happened. In fact, it was an encounter about worship. She had come to the conclusion that there were only two acceptable kinds of worship, Samaritan worship and Jewish worship. And Jesus confronted her and rebuked her and corrected her and taught her about what true worship was all about. Now, you see, the Samaritans had it wrong. She was a Samaritan. The Samaritans had kept a lot of the aspects of Judaism, but they had only honored the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament, all the Psalms and the prophets and the Chronicles and Kings and Nehemiah, all those books they had rejected. They said only the first five books are the inspired books of God. What they had was enthusiasm without information. The Samaritans had spirit. They were alive. They worshiped but they didn't have the truth. They had not absorbed all the truth. They had only taken a portion of it. A.W. Tozer says, the heresy of Samaritanism is the practice of picking out what we like to worship and rejecting what we do not like, and it is widespread. Men and women set themselves as judges of what the Lord has said. Instead of getting down on their knees and letting God judge them, they stand with pride and judge the Lord. The Samaritans had it wrong. The Jews had it wrong. 
For the Jews had truth, but they lacked spirit. They had embraced the forms, but they rejected the freedom. They had all the scripture, but their hearts weren't in it. They kept the letter of the law, but they didn't understand the spirit of the law. And Jesus rebuked them both because, in essence, what he said was the Samaritans had heat and no light, and the Jews had light and no heat, and you need both. God wanted to do something with them. God wanted to teach them about worship and about loving him. But you see, as the note says in your, in your sermon notes, once the keepers of forms reject the spirit of the forms, the forms become obsolete. One of the things that happens to us in worship is we forget why we do what we do. Well, why do we do that? Just because we've always done it. But you see, once you lose the spirit of the form, the form's no good anymore. If you're just doing it because you're just doing it, because you're just doing it, because it's always been done, then there's no life in it. And God wants to breathe life in everything that we do. He doesn't want a dead worship experience, and much of what we call worship is not worship. He wants our life, He wants our response, and He wants us to give ourselves to Him. Now, everybody worships something. Every cult, every tribe, every nation has some form of worship. And they have religion, but they don't have Christianity. Now, notice, if you would, the difference between Christian worship and religion. First of all, Christian worship begins with God. Religion begins with man's efforts to get to God. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. Christian worship is God touching man. Religion is man trying to figure out how he's going to touch God or maybe even be God. Christian worship glorifies God. Religion is built on performance. We go through the rituals and the motions and we do all that we're supposed to do, but worship is to glorify God. Worship originates in the spirit. Religion originates in the flesh. Jesus Christ did not come to establish religion. There's enough religion in the world. There are thousands of religions in the world. Jesus Christ came to establish relationships. Relationship with the Father and relationship with the Son and relationship with the Spirit. The last thing about Christian worship is it honors the one worshiped. Religion honors the worshiper. Now look at John chapter 4 and verse 23. This is a key passage in understanding true worship. And if you've not been here for the other messages in this series, they have all built around this theme of worship. This is a key passage if you and I are going to understand what it means to worship God. Verse 23. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, in other words, implied in that is there are false worshipers. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now notice this phrase, and you ought to underline it. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is looking for something today. God is searching the earth today. He's seeking something. He's longing for something. He desires something, and he seeks true worshipers. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him, 
must worship in spirit and truth. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. If you're going to worship the Father, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. William Temple said worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. It is to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination with the beauty of God, to open your heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Now notice what worship is not. In these verses where he talks about beginning in verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. And when Jesus says, woman, believe me, or man, believe me, you can believe it. Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. First of all, worship is not a place, it's a person. Worship is not about mountains and buildings. Worship is about a person. Friday night with about 50,000 people, all men in the Georgia Dome, we took a place that has all kind of advertising honoring the world, a place that sells all kind of stuff that bring people down, a place where God's name is taken in vain and where people curse and blaspheme and we turned it into a place of worship. The Georgia Dome became a house of worship because over 50,000 men assembled there as promise keepers to praise and to worship God, and dozens and dozens of men gave their life to Jesus Christ. It's not about the place, it's about the person. Secondly, worship is not a ritual, it's a reality. It's not about coming down and, and trying to get everything, all our ducks in a row, and, and trying to make sure all our, our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed and, and that the bulletin's all printed. It's not about a ritual. It's not about we do this at this time and we do that at this time. It's a reality. If it, it's all right if you've got a ritual if there's reality in it. But if it's just a ritual, it's not worship. It's only a reality that makes it worship, the reality of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Worship is not a burden. It's a privilege. You ever get up and go, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church today. I don't know if I want to go to church today. Some churches I've been to, I don't know if I'd want to get up and go to church either. But you know what? Worship is not a burden. It's a privilege. And in fact, it is such a privilege that God's going to let me do it for all eternity. I mean, that's how big of a privilege it is. You think heaven's going to be a burden? Heaven's not going to be a burden, and you know what you're going to do there? You're going to worship God. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. Worship is not superstition, but it's supernatural exercise. It's not a superstition. We didn't just kind of come up with some God that we created in our image and built some wooden or, or iron or gold idol and set it up on a stage and bow down to it. It's not some superstitious thing that we do that's got some hocus-pocus aspect to it that if we don't do it, somehow God will get us. Oh, it's a supernatural experience. And worship is not a fantasy, but it's factual. Jesus Christ is a fact of history. The Holy Spirit is a fact. The Word of God is a fact. The presence of God is a fact. That God seeks worshipers is a fact. That God longs 
to inhabit the praise of his people is a fact. It's not a fantasy. It's reality. It's a fact built on the Word of God. And so the first thing he tells us is we are to worship the Father. Now you see, that's so understood by us, we miss it. We miss it. We are to worship the Father. The word Father is the favorite expression that Jesus had for God. He called him the Father. Only once did he say our Father, and that was in the model prayer. About three times he said your Father. But the majority of the time, and every time in John chapter 4, and every other reference, Jesus referred to Father as the Father. Now why is that important? It's important because when he said, I and the Father are one, it infuriated his enemies. Because when he said that, he said, I'm God standing right in front of you. I am God in flesh. I am the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of all your prophecies. I'm the fulfillment of all your hopes. Whatever image, whatever you idea you had about God, about Jehovah Jireh, whatever image you had in your mind, you get it straightened out. I'm what he is. It's me. Louis Farrakhan is saying that he is Jesus Christ. That he is the Christ, the promised one of God. That Christ was not born in Bethlehem. He was born in Chicago. I got news for Lewis. Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was never born in Chicago. He has been there before, though. And he is there today, and he's not in the presence of Lewis Farrakhan. Nor is Jesus Christ in the Mormon church because they believe that you add something to Jesus. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, they tried to kill him. And they still are offended, and people are still offended when you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and yet both Paul and Peter in their epistles several times refer to the Father as the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If he is not the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then he's not the God of the Bible. And when Jesus Christ came, he came to fulfill all Scripture. And when we worship the Father, we worship the Son because the Father and the Son are equal. The Son was not created. He did not come into existence. He just took a bodily form. He was always there with the Father. He was there at creation. He will be there at the end. He laid aside his glory, but he did not lay aside his deity. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are one. And when we worship the Father, we worship the Son, and the Spirit prompts us to worship the Father and to worship the Son. And anyone who says to you that we worship the same God, but we worship him in different ways, if we're Mormons or if we're Jehovah's Witnesses or if we're Christians or if we're Jews or if we're Muslims, that person is a false teacher because the God of the Bible is the Father of Jesus Christ. And if he's anything else to you, it's not the God of the Bible that you worship. Now that is how serious it is that we understand that our worship is to the Father. 
Because you see, if he's not the father of Jesus Christ, then Messiah hasn't come yet. And you're still lost in your sin because you don't have blood atonement because we don't make blood sacrifices. Jesus came once for all to save the lost. He didn't say, I'll send Jesus, and then 500 years later, I'll send Mohammed, and then a few hundred years after that, I'll put some gold tablets in the United States, and you'll find those. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. He hasn't changed his mind. That is not open for interpretation or debate. There's one way to God, and that is through the Father. And if you are going to worship, then you have to go to God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the only people that can worship are people who know Jesus. Everybody else is worshiping a false god, but they're not worshiping, not like we understand worship to be. Secondly, it is not only worship to the Father, but it is worship in spirit. Worship the Father in spirit. You see, worship is to flow from the inside out. Paul worshiped in spirit. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, he talks about serving the Lord in his spirit. Now that was a reference, that word serve is a reference to a word that we sometimes translate worship. David worshiped in his spirit, Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, there are a lot of different forms. We've talked about this uh, uh, several times uh, as we've uh, gone into study on worship for the last three or four weeks, however long we've been in it. And there are several different styles. There are some people that think you can't worship unless you've got a bulletin. I remember when Brother Danny was here, and we quit printing the order of service. Some folks had a conniption fit. Uh, Where's the offertory prayer coming in? Don't worry, we know, the ushers know. You just give something when the plate goes by. When are we going to do the welcome when we, when we say it's time to do the welcome? I mean, there were people, they were walking around with their book. There's no order of worship. There's no order of worship. God can't come. There's no order of worship. And, and they got over it. But, you know, it's, I mean, they're just, some people think it's got to be in the bulletin. And if you vary from the bulletin, you know what? You sang that song before that song. And in the bulletin, it said you're supposed to sing this one first, and it confused me that you did that. Now, there are some people who think if you have a bulletin, you're not spiritual. They don't want anything. They just want to kind of sing watermelon Hershmanon because they don't, they, they don't, want, to, they don't want any words. They, they don't want anything, you know. They just want to just, just kind of take off and go and just run in whatever direction they can. There are some people that just want to sit quietly, and they want to be reverent, and they sit with their hands by their My dad used to make me be quiet in church, and if I wasn't quiet in church, I was loud when I got home. And I was crying, but it wasn't out to God. And there are some people that just want to say amen and hallelujah and praise God. I mean, they want, they want to talk back to the preacher sometimes. There's some that want it spontaneity, and there's some that want order. Now, let me tell you, 
I know people in both groups who love God with all their heart. I mean, they just love God. I know people that like high church liturgy and they love God. I know people that like a responsive, spontaneous service and they love God. I'm going to tell you, I also know people who like form and liturgy and they've missed the point. And I know people over here who like spontaneity because they want their flesh appealed and they don't want to do it in the Spirit. You see, I know people in both groups that love God, and I know people in both groups that have missed God. That's why we worship in the Spirit. Because when you're in the Spirit, it's not the form, it's the heart. It's what the Spirit is working out of us in our worship to God. So we worship God, first of all, in the Spirit. Now, let me give you some suggestions for building a worshiping spirit. And this doesn't matter whether uh, you attend a church that sings all hymns or a church that sings all courses or whatever kind of church. Whatever church you find yourself in, you may go on vacation sometimes and you say, man, this is not like our church. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. You'll miss... What God wants you to do, if you're there, you're there for a reason. And you'll miss what God wants if you don't build a worshiping spirit. So let me tell you how to build a worshiping spirit. Number one, yield your heart to the control of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit prompt your heart. Let Him motivate your heart. Let Him cleanse your heart. Let Him instruct your heart. Alan Stanford said, Most people are satisfied with a less intense experience with God learning about God or sharing in the work of God but not coming into the presence of God. Yield your heart to the control of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, focus your thoughts on God. Focus your thoughts on God. Don't focus your thoughts on the form. Don't focus your thoughts on the platform. Focus your thoughts on God. Let God renew your heart and your mind. Get in your mind that you are worshiping God. Tune your heart and your mind and your thoughts into Him. Now that means discipline because quite honestly, the, what comes in is you start thinking about lunch and you start thinking about the afternoon and you start thinking about work and you start thinking about all you got to do and all those things. And if you don't focus your thoughts on God, you'll go through a whole worship experience and miss it. You have to focus on Him. Thirdly, don't fight God when He points out sin or a lack of worship. The psalmist says in Psalm 86 and verse 11, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Don't fight God when he points out sin or a lack of worship. Now turn if you would, hold your place in John 4, and turn all the way to the front of your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Because what we see in Genesis chapter 4 is a hindrance to worship. And the greatest hindrance to worship is ourselves. Ourselves. That gets in the way of our worship experience with the Lord. Now, God in worship, if you are worshiping God and you're singing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, and you are focused on God and you've yielded control to the Holy Spirit, at some point, God's going to say to you, uh, you want to be a sanctuary? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be a sanctuary. 
All right, let's go over here and check this closet that's locked and you won't let me in. Because there's a closet in your sanctuary that I think's got some garbage in it and I need to clear it out if you're going to be a sanctuary. Now, Lord, I, I don't want to do that. I, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Now, Lord, as long as it's Sunday morning and it's convenient, I'll pledge. But if it costs me any more than that, I don't want to do it. Grace greater than all our sin. And so we say, well, I think I'll just sin more. That way I'll get to experience more of God's grace. You see, but God in worship begins to point his finger at our heart and he says, there's an area, there's a problem, there's an attitude, there's something you need to confess, there's something you need to get right, there's something you need to yield, that's unacceptable to me. You know, when God gets a hold of us, he starts showing us what's unacceptable. And if it's unacceptable to God, it has to become unacceptable to us. We ought to want to hate sin as bad as God hates it. Now, Genesis chapter 4, this is the story of Cain. You remember Adam and Eve have fallen in the garden. They've been uh, pushed out of the garden. God has made clothing for them. They were naked and they were ashamed. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Verse 3, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Now notice he came and brought an offering to the Lord. He was worshiping of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Isn't it interesting? Cain got mad at God because God said that's not good enough. And his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why, why, you ever wonder, why do people get angry at God when all God's doing is trying to help them? Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told his Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now, Genesis chapter 4 is the account of the first murder in human history. And it happened in the midst of misunderstanding about worship. See, most of us know that the first murder in human history was Cain killing his brother Abel. Most of us don't realize that it was a result of Cain having an unacceptable gift to God and God not accepting it, and Cain got mad at God and killed his brother because his brother was pleasing to God. By the way, since Genesis chapter 4, Satan has always tried to drive a wedge in worship and to make us bring to God that which is not acceptable to him. Now, three problems with Cain's worship. First of all, he did not recognize the kind of God Jehovah is. He didn't recognize the kind of God Jehovah is. What was acceptable to God? He brought the fruit of his hands. Secondly, he thought he deserved acceptance from the Lord without a blood sacrifice. 
He thought he deserved acceptance from the Lord. He brought the work of his hand. But you see, our works are not acceptable to God for salvation. Our works are evidence of salvation, but they are not for salvation. The works of our hands are as filthy rags. Our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. We cannot please God with the works of our hand. God wants our heart. God wants faith. God only accepts the sacrifice of his son. He tried to bring a gift and say, God, I don't want to give what you want me to give, and so how about you taking this? And God said no. He thought he deserved acceptance without a blood sacrifice, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And then thirdly, he assumed sin was less serious than it really is. Now why is it important that we worship the Father and Jesus and the Father being equal why is it important that we do that? Because when we worship the Father, we say to the Father, we know how serious sin is. Sin is serious enough, Father, that your Son had to come and die on a cross to pay the price for my sin. I can't just come tip you and pay you off and give you a little token of a nod of my appreciation. I can't just kind of pat the big guy on the sky on the back. I can't say the big God in the air is my friend. You are my father and your son had to die for my sin. So I know sin is serious. And folks, when we worship God the Father in the Spirit, the first thing that happens to us is we have to deal with sin. Because sin is what breaks the Spirit's fellowship in our life. And so when we're worshiping God in the Spirit, we have to address the sin issue. Then we worship in truth. Now, truth is objective. The Spirit is subjective. And worship is a response built on truth. We worship the God in truth. There is edification and evangelism. God wants both, and enthusiasm and exposition. All those things begin to happen in worship as we worship God in truth. Psalm 145 and verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Look at this quote by John Stott, preaching is making known the name of the Lord. And worship is praising the name of the Lord made known. The two cannot be divorced. Worshiping the Father, worship in spirit, worship in truth. Jesus was sitting on a well one day. A woman came up. She had had five husbands, a hard life. She didn't have much hope. She came in an hour when women would not normally come to get water because she didn't want to take the abuse. And she showed up there, and there was a Jew there. She didn't say much to him, but he began to carry on a conversation with her. His disciples had gone off and left. It was just him there all by himself. She got in a conversation with him about religion. Jesus wasn't interested in talking about religion that day. He wanted to talk about a relationship. He wasn't asking her out for a date. He was asking her for an eternal relationship. And she said, well, you know, when we worship, we, we go over to that church on that mountain over there. 
and you worship, you, you, you go to that church on that mountain over there. Now, which mountain are we supposed to go to? Jesus said, forget the mountains. I'm the master. Just worship me. Jesus said, there's coming a day when it's not Jerusalem, it's not Gerizim, but it's on a pew in Albany, Georgia, that I am moving in the midst of people seeking true worshipers, trying to find people that want to get with me and let me get with them. And when they get with me, they're going to talk to me like I'm the Father. And they're going to worship me as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Such people Father sinks. And right here on Memorial Day weekend, the Father of all heaven and earth is seeking out people in this church to find out who wants to worship him. How about you? Is he in your pew? Has he found you to be acceptable in spirit and in truth? You know why he seeks it? Because he loves to build a relationship with people who know his son. And he wants you today, right now, to worship him. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? just a moment our hymn of invitation will be sung Bill will begin singing and our staff will be here at the front and I'm going to ask you from where you are in the balcony in the back to obey God and do what he says you don't even have to wait for the singing to begin you can step out right now and say you know I, I believe in God but I've never believed in Jesus then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. For the God of the Bible is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today you need to meet Him and have a personal relationship with Him. There are some friends here that would love to sit down and talk with you and share with you how you can know for sure that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for a church home. Maybe God's told you this is the place. Maybe you're still looking and you're still seeking, trying to find. Well, make sure that where you go is worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth, or you'll miss God. Maybe you just need to come to this altar and God's been dealing with you today. He's been seeking a worshiper, but He's found in you a wayward son or daughter. He's been seeking praise out of you, but what he's found is a prodigal. You've got to come to your senses and confess your need of him and confess your sin and let him cleanse your heart. Bill's going to sing a very familiar song, All to Jesus, I Surrender. Would you come, would you respond as he begins singing right now? Thank you for joining us for this series on worship. I pray it's been a blessing to your life.
the Word of God has much to say about the subject of worship. And we want to encourage you to join us each week and find out what God is saying to you about how you can learn to worship Him. This has been a blessing to you. Would you write us, please, at the address on your screen? We'd love to hear from you and know that God has used this message in your life. Until next week, God bless you.